It's time for class. Civics just doesn't begin and end on election day. This is Sunday Civics, the home for the civically engaged with political strategist L. Joy Williams on Sirius XM's Urban View. Welcome and good morning. Welcome to Sunday Civics, the home for the civically engaged. I'm your host, your civics teacher, your neighborhood political strategist, L. Joy Williams. And I'm so happy that you made it to class today. Thank you, thank you for filing in, for filing in. <laughs> I am coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm currently in Boston for the NAACP National Convention. And if you follow me on social media, although I don't tweet as much as I used to, but you can see some of what we have going on. One of the biggest things that I'm looking forward to is the main reason for the NAACP convention is that we come together and we vote on as delegates resolutions which come from branches from all across the country on various issues from civil rights to criminal justice reform, economic development, education, environmental issues. And we decide as branches from all across the country what, what issues matter and what we should do about them as an organization, what our branches across the country should do about these issues, what we should advocate for on the local, state, and federal level. And so that's on Monday, and I am looking forward to engaging in the spirited debate about various issues and what position the National Association should take on these issues. One of the things that is going to come out of the conference, and you'll hear about it later, you know I've talked about the use of AI, particularly as it pertains to our elections. And I am happy that Brooklyn Branch inspired resolution that was passed by the National Board on the use of AI, not only from a tech, uh, in the technology space, but also in our electoral space for misinformation and disinformation. And so look out for all of those emergency resolutions, but also these resolutions, again, that come from the ground up. They come from these volunteer activists all across the country in their local communities who decide these are the issues that we think our national association should work on, that our president should, our national president, Derek Johnson, should be giving voice to. And so I am looking forward to all of those issues that will come out of the conference. So later on, after our break, I do have someone to bring to the front of the class. It's a Sunday Civics regular. Congressman Ro Khanna from California is coming back to the front of the class. And we're having a wide-ranging conversation, not only about the things that Congress is doing that we don't get to hear about or see because the media is always focused in general on something regarding Trump and something regarding people spinning disinformation. It's ironic to me that an institution who believes in the truth, who believes in seeking out stories that matter to people and to in, th that they get caught up in this spin cycle of disinformation. Isn't that ironic to you? 
that journalists who are like looking for the truth and looking for stories that people care about, that they are the main ones that are caught up in this cycle by a myriad of different actors that are just like distracting. They're distracting, you know, like the whole week, this conversation about Hunter Biden and, you know, I there is not now person that I know that I've engaged with in Brooklyn. And it just so happens over the last couple of weeks, I've engaged with a lot of people just in Brooklyn um, alone um, in my community being engaged. And like nobody is talking about that. People are talking about financial difficulty. People are talking about housing affordability. People are talking about student loan debt. People are talking about the aliens. <laughs> yes, they're talking about that. That's hilarious. But they're talking about a lot of different things. And more people are talking about aliens than they are talking about Hunter Biden and his issues and his troubles, right? And the fact that media is sort of following after these political actors in the Republican Party who are deciding this is like the most important thing facing the American people on whether or not, you know, Biden misused power. And there, I don't see any evidence of that. And quite frankly, what's up with the student loan debt situation? What's up with this gas situation? What's up with milk prices? These are the things that people want to focus on. We don't want we don't want this entire election cycle to be focused on Hunter Biden. I, I can speak for all of us and say that. <laughs> but, you know, I'm going to do a lot of these conversations talking about how we break this cycle of disinformation and push back to these institutions like media starting with local media, just like I tell you, you start with local elections and holding local governments and your local elected officials accountable, hold your local media accountable as well. And I know it's difficult because a lot of the local media has been bought out by these national and internationally conglomerates all across the country, but we need to push back and give them the evidence and the armor to say that people don't care about these stories that we're putting on the front page, that we're putting on the evening news. They want to focus on issues that matter to them locally. And we need to give voice to that. We need to not just accept it. And we also need to invest in those community media, those locally owned media that are giving us the stories and the information that we need. Invest in them. Invest in them. I know you have local papers and local media that are telling more stories about the issues and helping you make informed decisions about your civic life. Invest in them and divest from these folks that are just, you know, pushing money around to further distract and placate certain actors. But when we come back, we're going to have this really great conversation with Congressman Ro Khanna talking about a number of things. You know, he's he's been on before, but I I just wanted us to level set, level set. It's going to be really hard. This election cycle is going to be brutal, y'all. So I need you to level set and not get distracted by all of the, all of the different, different stories that will be used against us and distracting us from using our real power to enact real change. So I need you not to burn out by all of the distractions. I need you to stay focused on what matters. And we'll be right back with Congressman Ro Khanna 
and talk more about some things that we should be focusing on when we come back. All the wahala, all the problems, all the things that you think that you must do to start in this world. Like when the teacher, schoolboy and schoolgirl come together. Who is the teacher? I go let you know. Who is the teacher? I go let you Welcome know. Welcome back to Sunday Civics. I am bringing to the front of the class someone who is no stranger to the front of the Sunday Civics classroom specifically. And I think I might have to give him a title. I think he might be uh, the Sunday Civics congressional cheerleader. <laughs> you know, or something. Because he is always thinking, he and his team are always thinking about ways that he can come back in front of the class to talk about what's happening. And he don't even represent me. I'm going to have to tell leader Hakeem Jeffries <laughs> that he's trying to steal his constituent <laughs> because he is always thinking about ways to come back to Sunday Civics. Welcome back, Congressman Ro Connor from California's 17th Congressional District. How are you? Thank you, Joy. Don't get me in trouble with the leader, but I uh, I uh, appreciate. I love coming on the show, and uh, we got to get leader Hakeem Jeffries on. I'm sure he's been on many times. <laughs> yeah, I'm. You know, I'm going to use it. I saw him this weekend. I'm going to use it as a, a dig to him and even adjacent Congresswoman Yvette Clark. Even she's been on the show too. But I'm like, I don't know. You know, your colleague. You know, he's he's been on like three times now. <laughs> Well, you got a national following. It's it's not just New York. You got you got listeners all over. Absolutely. So I am, you know, I, I want to cue up this discussion because, you know, it, it it's fun to bring you back and to have conversations about what's going on. And I think it's important because, you know, our congressional leaders, what we get from what is happening in DC is through the lens of production producers of cable news networks of what they want to talk about and not necessarily what you all are doing on a day-to-day -day basis that touches many different topics and many things that affect our daily lives. And it's really important as I advertise or, or, or tell our listeners to go out when your congressional members are having town halls, when they're, you know, talking to folks to really listen to those of you who are out and about in your districts of what's going on. Because if you watch CNN, MSNBC, or, you know, any other things, it's like, it's, it's, you know, January 6th, Trump, the Russians, Ukraine, and Biden sucks. Like that's the only, that's the only thing we get to hear. I'm curious how you feel about the things that you're doing on a regular basis and how it's just not sort of penetrating that curated cycle of news. Well, I appreciate that. But a lot of the things that we passed when we had a House, the presidency, and the Senate is now having an impact. I mean, we've got more new battery plants and manufacturing coming back to the country in both uh, urban cities, uh, places like Detroit and in uh, more rural areas. And that is something that happens because of the IRA. It happened because uh, of the uh, infrastructure bill. 
if you drive through a lot of states, look at the amount of construction that's taking place more than any time in my life. Those are good paying union jobs. We have done things to lower the cost for people, lower the cost of insulin to 35 bucks. We've got to do more to continue to lower prescription drug costs. We have done things to make sure that people have lower electricity bills with the IRA and things that they can take uh, advantage of. So there's a lot that has been achieved. There are a lot more things we need to do. I've been pushing, get rid of medical debt, uh, have free public college. I've really been pushing uh, the White House on eliminating student debt. I know the Supreme, we did it. The Supreme Court struck it down. I think we've got to be very aggressive under the Higher Education Act to, to take action, to, to forgive it again. Uh, and we've got to deal with childcare. But uh, we made progress, a lot of work to do still. Yeah, I, I like going to and listening to and even reading you all's newsletters of the different things that are happening. Because if you just rely on what the news is telling you, it creates that distance where you feel um, that Congress is not working for you. They're not focusing on the issues that matter to the American people unless you go to the horse's mouth, <laughs> you know, for say, to hear what is going on on a regular basis, that you guys are actually working, working very much to make sure that American people are getting sort of the relief where necessary and, and fighting against the entrenched powers that are trying to prevent us from really enjoying the freedoms here in this country. You know, the other thing is that we're also getting ready to embark on this election season. Well, it's already started. And we always hear the, this is the most important election of our lives. <laughs> and people are numb to hearing that over and over again. But really it is, I feel like every election is important, right? Because then you're sending leaders to represent you and your community. So it's really important. So I want to hear from you how you would frame the landscape of this election season to get folks off the sidelines to not be numb, <laughs> you know, to that this is the most important election. And would interesting to hear how you are framing to your constituents or to anyone you're talking about on why this election is important. Well, Joy, until Donald Trump is on the ballot, it is going to be the most important election of our lifetime. When Donald Trump stops running on the ballot, then uh, uh, I won't be making uh, the claim. But, you know, there is so much at risk in 2024. Start with voting rights. I mean, are we going to have a curtailment where we're going to be continuing to move backwards uh, from having every person be able to vote regardless of their race, regardless of their uh, economic status, and have ballot a fair number of ballot places uh, in access to voting in every area? You look at uh, issues about student loan forgiveness. That's they have no chance if we lose the White House. Uh, look at the climate progress we made. If you care about climate and doing more in getting solar and wind and electric vehicles, we're going to do that the other side. It would be a disaster for climate if they came in. Look at reproductive rights. I mean, do you really want to give the Republicans the chance to have more bans in states and nationwide on abortion? I mean, they are prosecuting mothers, They never women. They never said that they would do that, and they are prosecuting them. Just in Nebraska the other day, a 17-year-old girl prosecuted, put in jail 
uh, for having uh, a medical uh, abortion. I mean, by with an abortion pill. Uh, and so reproductive rights are there. If you care about the uh, increase in livable wage to get more money in your pockets, that's on the ballot. If you care about having any sort of relief on childcare, that's on the ballot. If you want to make sure that you're getting some child tax credit, if you've got kids, money in your pocket, that's on the ballot. So these are all the things that are at stake for, for families. It's about more money in their pockets and uh, protecting their rights. Yeah. I mean, this really definitely puts into context for a lot of folks that I've been talking to who normally are on the sidelines to just... I'll just call you from the poll site and you tell me who to vote for. Like those folks <laughs> I find are being more like engaged early. They're asking me now, like, you know, who can I contribute to? What should I be doing? So that's encouraging to hear people engaged in that way. But I want to switch because, you know, the digital space is also your jam. And, you know, I asked this question and it's something I'm doing within the NAACP National about artificial intelligence, social media, and, and digital space overall. As, as you know, particularly Black communities and Black voters are often the target for misinformation, disinformation in terms of surrounding elections and our voting rights. And we've always, we've already, excuse me, seen the use of artificial intelligence, AI, in the campaign space. And so I'm, I'm bracing for what may be an onslaught of Black voters, again, being a target of these types of campaigns and the use of artificial intelligence, particularly in ad spaces and um, other information that would muddy the waters for voters participating in this election cycle, because we've seen it before. I mean, just with the tools of Facebook and, and other places, I wonder, do you have the same anxiety? And two, what you may be doing and your colleagues may be doing to address this before we get into the thick of the election season. Joy, I do have the same fear. And uh, the fear is you could have deep fakes, someone uh, pretending to be Joe Biden and, and saying things that even if we discover 12 hours later was a fake could actually influence the election. You could have propaganda about misleading people in the about where their ballot uh, box is or what the day of the election is. Uh, and that could be amplified and that could be targeted uh, to uh, African-Americans, to poor Americans, to younger Americans. And so there are a couple of things we need to do. One, we need more diversity in the people making these regulations. Right now, you know, I've said this before, in the Silicon Valley and technology, there is not there are not enough African-Americans in the leadership positions to create the uh, algorithms to help monitor and check those algorithms to understand the particular impact on the community. So how do we make sure that all of these companies have people in their executive teams, have people on their boards who are part of the decision-making on regulation? Secondly, we need to have an AI commission that comes up in the next three months with concrete recommendations that there has to be a safety check, there has to be a human check, uh, to make sure that these algorithms aren't doing things like the propaganda that uh, that that hurts our uh, our country or makes us less safe. And long term, we need a FDA-like regulatory body with uh, with AI uh, that uh, the, the the president should create with Congress. That regulatory body, because I want to stay there for a minute, because this is something that is of deep interest to me. 
you know, we didn't have, what is it, Homeland Security, the Agency of Homeland Security until September 11th, right? Like after September 11th, recognizing, although we had different agencies, the FBI, CIA, and others that sort of held the, you know, different pieces of the work. It wasn't until that attack where the Homeland Security was created in order to address some of our issues of safety of the country as it pertains to terrorism, right? And so there's almost always this this reluctance of creating new agencies or entities that would have these safeguards or oversight because people often don't want to create more bureaucracy and people feel as if it will stifle creativity if we have this regulatory body. Can you speak to just a little bit more in detail about why it's important, one, to create this entity, and then two, what it could help do, you know, versus stifling creativity, if you will? Well, I'm planning on seeing on Friday the movie Oppenheimer, and I'm looking forward to, to seeing that. But imagine if someone had said, when, we created nuclear technology. Well, let's not stifle innovation. We don't need regulation. Of course, we realize it was a powerful technology, but a very dangerous technology as well. And AI is similar. I mean, it can do very dangerous things. If you just have something that is programmed to maximize uh, the mission and do it at speed and scale, uh, it could commit unethical acts. It could commit violence. It could hurt things. It could uh, compromise safety if there's not a human check if there is not a distinction between machine and human, if there's not a safety check. And that is why, uh, just like we drugs, we wouldn't have people take medicine without the FDA. Just like we regulate nuclear technology, we should regulate AI. We should do it in a smart way. But, you know, our regulatory agencies, sometimes they get a bad rap, but they're actually often uh, very, very uh, good in ensuring safety and standards. I, I believe that about the FDA. I believe that about the agencies that regulate nuclear technology. Similarly, now we have a new technology. We've got to regulate AI. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And relying on <laughs> the tech giants, if you will, to regulate themselves, I feel is a recipe for a disaster. And they represent though, I think in terms, when we think of the tech, big technology companies, we're thinking of Google and Facebook, but majority of the tech space is believed because some of them are in your district, right? They're, they're medium to smaller uh, companies that also may have different views than sort of the larger institutions. I think of it similar to how we think about business in this country, right? When we're thinking about small business, the most people are thinking about the tire shop up the street or, you know, the mom and pop hardware store or a bodega or a convenience store, not realizing that, you know, the lobbyists and sort of the bigger institutions represent these, you know, multi-million dollar companies and that they are at the table negotiating things that may not be, that may not fit for that tire shop that you're thinking about. How do we ensure that balance, right? That we're not just, um, yes, we need to regulate the big guys, right? To make sure that they are not running roughshod over technology, but also providing support and regulation for the mid-size and smaller entities as well. Well, Joy, you said I've been uh, talking to people in your district. It looks like you've been talking to people in mine because this is exactly what 
I hear from a lot of Silicon Valley companies. I mean, look, Apple, Google, Intel, Yahoo, Tesla, NVIDIA are all in my district, but there are also a ton of startups. There are a ton of entrepreneurs who are doing AI and they're saying, you can't just let the big guys, you can't just let Microsoft open AI and Google write all the rules. And you also need to have people uh, involved in the conversation who are ethicists, who are uh, civic leaders. You need the, the diversity of the country involved and you need some of these smaller companies involved. Uh, right now you have basically these big technology companies voluntarily writing the rules. That's better than no one writing the rules. And I actually think many of them are well-intentioned, but they have blind spots. They aren't, their perspective isn't the only one uh, on something this complex. So what I recommended to the president is create an AI commission, have people from small businesses, startups, technologists, ethicists, civic leaders, uh, the diversity of our country, so all the concerns are there and then have some of the big technologists from Microsoft, Google as well, and have this commission come up and make recommendations in the next three months of what we need to do. Yeah, I, th I think that's I think that's important for that balance, because we those of us who are consumers who use this on a regular basis, you know, when we're using the products, you know, most of us, we know Google, we know Facebook, like we know those big entities because we're using the product on a regular basis. And we don't know that, you know, this mid-sized company created that, <laughs> you know, created that plugin that you use or, you know, things like that. They don't know the connection of it, but I think it's really important that we give voice to those mid-sized and small startups and individual creators in the process as well that interact with these platforms. I think that's something that your colleague, Congresswoman Clark, brought up even during the TikTok hearings in talking about the creators, particularly creators of color, Black creators who use these platforms and products and sort of how are their voices and their rights and their intellectual property used in that space. And so having people to speak up for them that are using these platforms are incredibly important as well. Absolutely. I mean, let's take your show. I mean, let's say we had AI that took all of your content, took your interviews, uh, summarized it and put out a, you know, eight minute version of the must highlights that you have to listen to and then monetize it. And if you didn't get any uh, compensation from it, they're basically taking your IP. And those are the issues that we have to resolve still. So that's a decision that I don't want just uh, uh, Google or Microsoft making. I want people uh, who are creating the content to have a seat at the table. And I want people uh, in, uh, for example, the African-American community in the South to understand the history of uh, election misinformation directed against the Black voters uh, to be part of the conversation on AI in elections. I want um, mothers to be part of the conversation when it comes to AI and medicine and drugs and recommendations for kids. And so we've, we've got to realize that Yes, we need the technologists, but this is a societal uh, value and we need society represented. Yeah. So I want to switch gears for a second and put you, you've already, you know, told us the story of your first civic action, but I want to ask you another question that sort of talks about your lived experience. Your colleagues from the Congressional Black Caucus are on their current tour of democracy in America and sort of touring the country, having town hall conversations with constituents, with black voters, would be voters around the country. And they were here in Brooklyn um, <laughs> last weekend as well. 
And the chair of the CBC, Rep. Uh, Horsford from Nevada, talked about how each of the members bring their own lived experience to the work that they do on the Hill, to the policy that they are introducing, to the hearings and the folks that they are talking to. What would you say are some of the lived experiences that you bring to the table when, let's say, you're in hearings or you're in meetings with, you know, lobbyists and other folks and that you are able to bring present and front of mind as you're having these conversations? Well, I think it's probably a a story of being a a son of immigrants. I mean, my grandfather, as you may remember, spent uh, four years in jail uh, with uh, with Gandhi and as part of the Gandhi's independence movement. Uh, That movement inspired in part uh, Dr. King and the civil rights movement. Dr. King had the Gandhi reader and the Bible wherever he went. And it's one of the reasons I was actually just out with Greg Kazar uh, demonstrating for uh, women uh, workers' rights to have water breaks. And I quoted uh, Dr. King's speech about how we need a technology revolution, not of technology, but a revolution of human values and a a people-oriented society, not a thing-oriented society. And that the reason I had studied so much about the civil rights movement was because of the influence of the independence movement. And then I'm aware that if it weren't for the civil rights movement, my parents wouldn't have been allowed in America. Uh, The civil rights movement led to the 1965 Immigration Act that basically let uh, Indians, Asians, people from the Middle East come to America. Before that, it was largely European. And uh, I was born in Philadelphia in 1976. And a lot of the Indian uh, Americans who came at first, they couldn't get jobs at Harvard or Yale, where I had the opportunity to, to study. They, they, they got jobs at HBCUs because no, no one else would hire them. And that's why you see so many Indian faculty at uh, HBCUs. So when I have a strong belief that uh, we need affirmative action, I'm mindful of the debt, for example, that the Asian American community uh, has to the civil rights movement and the history of the civil rights movement's debt to the, uh, the Indian independence movement. And I make that case to Asian constituents of mine uh, of why uh, affirmative action matters. I make the case uh, about why we should be doing more to connect HPCUs with technology. Uh, but overall, I would just say it, it gives me a humanistic perspective uh, because I believe that uh, Gandhi's independence movement, the civil rights movement, were, were, were not just about uh, equal rights. They were sort of spiritual movements about human dignity, about the best of a just society, and those ground a lot of the, my principles in the way I look at the world. Yeah. So here at Sunday Civics, we, for the summer, have interns helping to produce the show and come up with the questions and everything. And, I, you know, I wanted to give an opportunity not only for interns to help prep behind the scenes, but also to ask you a question, because how many times do our young people have the ability to engage with congressional members, I wanted to make sure that they have that opportunity. So I'm going to bring our intern <laughs> to the front of the class, Miss Alana, because Alana has a question for you. That's awesome. Interns always ask the toughest questions, but I'm I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Alana. Okay. So my question is: Being a member of Congress, you are no stranger to the game of politics and how it can often get in the way of progress. 
Do you think the current political landscape is indicative of this idea that politics and political party affiliations are causing this country to stagnate and even move backwards? What ways can we work to change this so that the government is working to actually benefit the majority as democracy is designed to do? Uh, that's a deep question. See what I meant? The, 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 a lot of times it's just asked the most profound questions. And I, I agree that there's a lot of frustration right now in among young people about government. We're not doing enough for climate. We're not doing enough to deal with the fact that most young Americans can't afford the American dream, can't afford housing, can't afford education, often in medical debt. Young families can't afford childcare. How do we change this? How do we have uh, a society where everyone has access to, to the American dream? I, I think what it's gonna require is your generation, new generation, getting active, voting, demanding that kind of change, the change that comes from uh, a people-oriented movement. I don't think it's just a matter of the political parties working together better. That would be nice, and it'd be great if we weren't uh, almost risking default, and if we didn't know constantly have shut down, uh, government shutdown threats. Uh, but it's going to take something more to to have the kind of change in this country that we need, with a, a bigger focus on climate and healthcare and education and workers' rights and issues of mass incarceration and not having people just be incarcerated with no hope or opportunity for, the, for, the, for their lives. Those are issues that are gonna require a movement to change. That's the only thing that's ever changed uh, things in America. And I'm so hopeful when I see the younger generation and your energy, your activism, uh, and I think that's what's gonna get people elected to bring the kinds of change uh, that I'd like to see. All right. Thank you, Alana. That was a <laughs> deep question. I was wondering where you were going to go with that answer, too. I have to, I now have to, you know, make sure we screen the questions before. <laughs> yeah. No, Thank no, you. I think it's good. I think it's good. That's, 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 the, I think it's a great thing. I wish other, wish Cable News did that or something. Let the, let an intern ask a question. You probably wouldn't just then have all the questions be about the, you know, what, what hearing for Hunter Biden took place, but things that actually affect people's lives. Yeah, I think I really think it's important because we do, you know, I have this talk when I'm talking about civics. We spend a lot of time telling young people that their civic duty doesn't kick in until of a certain age, until they can vote. And I try to undo <laughs> that work by saying, you know, you don't have to wait until you have the vote in order to engage. And there's a difference between, you know, what you do in terms of beautification of your neighborhood. Some folks try to make it civics about that, right? Like that cleaning up your neighborhood or right. doing a book drive is like civic engagement, taking the power of engaging with government, of your voice to those who represent you taking that out of civic engagement. Civic engagement is about political power, right? And it's about, you know, you coming collectively with your community to give voice to your needs and the demands of your uh, from your government. And I think we do a disservice to young people by telling them to wait until, you know, they turn a certain age. And then we don't give them the tools to help them evaluate, you know, what party, how do I intersect with this? How do I evaluate? the job of my congressional member, right? So if you're on the other end, Congressman, you're going in the booth 
you are voting for people to represent you. It can be all the way from president. You you vote for yourself, hopefully. <laughs> Congressman, like how should, what are some of the questions from not only from the top of ticket, but then those who represent you locally, when you're going in the voting booth, what are the questions you're asking yourself of the candidates that you need to evaluate and then vote for? What are some questions that people should be asking themselves? That's a great question. And by the way, it's one of the reasons I support Ayanna Presley's uh, amendment uh, to, to have people vote starting at 16. I think it would do a big service of people were voting starting when they were in high school and that became part of uh, the civic class and civic obligation uh, in getting young people prepared for what you say. You know, I would say, look at the top three things you care about. You know, for me, it's uh, climate, it's healthcare, and it's people having uh, a living, living wage. And then I look at, well, what are the candidates saying about those three things? And what are they, their, what's their record on those things? And what are they going to do to, to make progress on those things? Other people may have other top three issues. The reason I say focus on three is because there are hundreds of issues and you're, gonna, you're never going to agree with someone on everything. But if you focus on your top three and you see where is the candidate on them, and then you get a pretty good sense of whether you should vote for them or not. You mean you're not evaluating whether or not you want to get a beer with them or <laughs> sit on the dock of the bay at a party? <laughs> you mean you're thinking about issues and not how much you like them? Well, you know, I mean, this is a, a, a big debate in our country. And I think in the past, we've elected people, obviously, who are very charismatic and uh, who you may want to get a beer with. But I often say, look, would you uh, think about your favorite uh, best teacher in school was it the person who you most would have wanted to get a beer with or gone out with to, for coffee if you're under age or is it someone who challenged you who was the best doctor you had is it someone who just uh, made uh, the most pleasant trades in conversation or is it someone who really uh, solved your health issue uh, what is the best person you've had who's an electrician is someone who was charming or someone who actually solved the issue in your house so in all these other areas we want competence. We want people who are going to actually help solve our problems. And I don't understand why in the most, one of the most important jobs, which is a person who represents you, who makes decisions about whether you're going to have money to pay for childcare in school, whether you're going to get money for healthcare, whether you're going to get a good job, uh, all those things that you want just someone who's likable or funny. Uh, you want someone who's the best at solving your problems. Yeah, I think that's uh, important as I'm helping to prepare those who are listening and will listen later as we get further into the election season. That is the question I get asked the most. There are all of these candidates, you know, how do I make a decision on who is the best to represent me here? And, I, you know, I think you're right in identifying what matters to you first, starting with your own self and then evaluating candidates' responses and their work on that, I think is really important. So Congressman, thank you so much for always coming with a very engaging conversation. We're going to have to produce a whole series, just me and you, we'll tour the country and have I, civics I, conversations. I, with I don't know if I can hold up. I don't know. I, I could I maybe jam one, one time every four or five months. I don't know if I could keep up with you all over the country, but I, <laughs> the time flies. I love it. I love coming on. I love that you talk about the real issues. And you're doing a real civic education to 
to people by getting them engaged, getting them to realize what matters. And I, I guess if there's one thing I'd leave with is just feel empowered. You know, if you came to Congress and you saw the young people, that's what gives me hope for the country. The Maxwell Frost, the Lyra Ramirez, Summer Lee's, and they're all these new young members in their 30s and their 20s. And you can be part of that. You can be part of the generation that changes this country. Thank you so much, Congressman. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Are you always stopping by? Thank you, Joy. Take care. You too. How can it be that you love the most unlovable part of me? Of me. How could you see your life was the only gift I ever need to be free? It's amazing with you. I win even if I lose. Everything's working for my good for all. Welcome back to Sunday Civic, Eljoy, and I just want to say thank you to Congressman Rokana, who, as I said in the beginning of the show, is always willing to come to the front of the Sunday Civics class and talk about policy issues, to talk about the latest of what's going on in electoral politics in our country in general, and I'm looking forward to him coming back again in the future and maybe bringing uh, one or two of his colleagues for us to have a panel discussion about what's happening in Congress. And this is just, just to wrap everything up from our uh, earlier conversation. What is getting said to us of what is news? I want you to remember is, carefully crafted and calculated. It is not always the sum of what is going on around us. You can take, for instance, your every day. As you are engaging in your community, maybe you're going to community meetings, maybe you're reading local papers, maybe at your church or another nonprofit or organization that you are part of, You can think in your local community about the things that are going on that never make it to not only national news or cable news, but even the newspaper in your town or in your large municipality. It never makes it there. The things that you are discussing on Facebook or in your community groups or even your group chat, how much of the stuff that you deem important that are in, these things, these issues are important to your everyday life, do not make it to the front page or even in the newspaper at all. So if you take a moment to think about that, to think that the things that your community is battling with and struggling with on a regular basis, not making it Um, into this larger conversation and it feels like nobody really cares about those issues. What do you think happens on a national level? We just had a conversation, a congressman from California, but he's also talking about the things that Congress is doing in their committee hearings, in their meetings, their caucus, the hearings, so many things that are happening on Capitol Hill that yes, do affect our lives 
do affect our daily lives, do affect our pocketbooks. And I'm not saying that every issue that is being debated or discussed in Congress affects us daily, because it doesn't. It really doesn't. Again, you know my mantra that local is where it's at, and local is where you have the greatest impact and the greatest voice. But I want you to think about the all of the things that are not being talked about because we're focusing on January 6th. And again, not saying those things are not important. It is important to hold people accountable. It is important to have these hearings. It is important to talk about these issues. But, you know, just think about when was the last time Hunter Biden came up in a conversation in your local community? Don't nobody care about Hunter? His family does, and clearly the press does, because they're talking about it nonstop and Republicans are talking about it nonstop because they want to distract the national conversation on the issues that are important and that we can make an impact. They are trying to stall progress. So as I said in the beginning, I don't want us to get distracted. I don't want us to get distracted. And I want us to decide now who... Our what what issues matter to you? I think the Congressman Rokana summed that up in terms of evaluating the candidates, both nationally and statewide, that'll be put before you in a couple of starting in a couple of months. But then also begin to demand that the people who are curating what's important, they're saying that people care about this because this is what they're getting clicks on. This is what people are tuning in to see. Maybe we don't tune into it anymore. Maybe the letters to the editor that are we're writing to the Times and the newspapers and uh, news media in our communities are like, we don't want to hear this. Focus on these issues, right? So that we can turn the tide and just turn it off. <laughs> you know, you know, I've said it a couple of episodes ago. I've stopped engaging in that every day. And yes, it means that I'm not on you know, a talking head on cable news, but that's fine because we need to not be distracted because it is we who suffer when we are focusing on Hunter and on Trump and on all of these things rather than the issues that we have the power right now. They are distracting us because they're trying to distract us from walking in and using our full power. So let's do that by taking back control of our attention and not engaging in this kind of content and saying that we demand and we want more. You have the time, you have the manpower, the woman power, if you will, to focus on other issues that are important in this election cycle. And you can do that locally, locally. You can write your letters to the editor or even emails and there's comment, you can put comments on the website of your local news and saying, I don't want you to focus on this. I want you to talk about you know, these issues that are important in our local community. That's what we want to focus on in this election cycle. You have a voice. I want you to use it. I want you to feel empowered to use it, to say something, to tell these media outlets and reporters. And yes, I know a lot of them are a part of large conglomerates. And so it's going to feel like you're, you know, going into battle with the giant but we need to raise our collective voices about what's important and what we want covered as we go into these election cycles. So with that, I'd like you guys to have a wonderful, wonderful week. 
I want you to take action, find ways for you to take action in your local community. Be back next Sunday with more civic education that you can use to take action. Thank you. Oh,